Hi, I'm Stephen Apt, and here at Divine Savior Church, we believe that the message of Jesus truly changes lives. And so it's my prayer that as you listen to this message, that it does change your heart, uh, that it brings you peace and hope once again today. After you listen to it, if you wouldn't mind subscribing and liking, uh, we'd be grateful for that so that more people can hear the message of Jesus. Thank you. This morning, we close up our series called Disciples uh, as we've been looking at those 12 men that Jesus called to himself, he equipped, trained, and sent out into the world to spread the message of the kingdom, uh, to repent, for the kingdom of God is near, and brought people to Jesus. What we've seen over the last nine weeks or so is that even though these guys lived 2,000 years ago, Today, we can relate to them. We relate to the circumstances that they were in, the questions that they had, the problems that they had. Uh, we relate to uh, Jesus, the grace and mercy that Jesus had for them, the compassion that Jesus had for them. Uh, they are so relatable to you and to me today. And this morning, we close up with probably the most famous disciple, and that is Peter. Peter is probably the most famous because he's uh, written about the most. As you, read the, as you read the Gospels, who's mentioned more often than everyone else? Peter. When they make a list of the disciples, who's the first one? Peter. Peter was kind of the de facto leader of the group. Uh, it was probably because he was so bold, boisterous, he spoke without thinking a lot, uh, and he just naturally took over a situation. Peter had experiences that uh, many of the other disciples didn't have. He was part of that group of three that got to see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when, when Jesus uh, transfigured into his heavenly glory and Elijah and Moses were standing there talking with him. He was part of that group of three that saw Jesus raise Jairus' daughter back to life. Peter was the only disciple to walk on water. Jesus was walking on water one time in, in the midst of a storm, and he was walking out to his disciples who were in the boat, and the disciples thought it was a ghost. And, and Jesus says, no, it's me. And Peter said, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come out to you. And Jesus said, come on. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on water until he saw the waves, and then he fell as quickly as his faith did. <laughs> and he sank. But Peter is the de facto leader of the disciples. And what we're going to see today is that Peter knew who Jesus was. He knew the identity of Jesus. And we're going to see how that impacted his life, not only while Jesus was alive, but after. And so if you want some questions that are guiding us today, what is Jesus' identity and how does Jesus' identity impact our lives today? We're looking at Matthew chapter 16. Uh, let me give you the context real quick. Jesus has been preaching. He's been teaching. He's gathering this huge following because he's doing miracles. And uh, he's preaching and, and bringing in those who were excluded from the synagogue, from the temple. Uh, he's, he's getting the outsiders in. And so he's, this huge Jesus movement is happening. And so Jesus says, it's time I need to pour into my disciples a bit. And he goes way up north. 
to a, a town called Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Caesarea Philippi was a, a city that had been built up by Philip, King Herod's son, and then dedicated to Caesar. It was a city that was primarily Gentile, so uh, non-Jewish. It was very uh, Hellenized, so very Greek. Uh, there was a lot, it was a pluralistic city uh, where many gods were worshipped and, and many shrines and temples were set up to many different gods. Uh, in a lot of ways, it, w- it's, it was the modern city of the time. And this is where Jesus takes his disciples, way up north. And he goes up there to teach them who he is. Matthew chapter 16, uh, we're beginning with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Jesus replied, or Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus takes them up north, and he asks them the question, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Uh, The Son of Man was a title that Jesus used for himself. He never called himself the Messiah. He never came out and said, I'm the Christ. But what he did do was take that title, the Son of Man, for two reasons. One, uh, it identified him with the human race. He's man. But also, the Son of Man was a title found in the book of Daniel for the coming Messiah. And so Jesus is claiming a a messianic title for himself. And he, he says, so who do people say I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. All of those names, very complimentary for Jesus. These are compliments. John the Baptist, huge, popular preacher that came right before Jesus. Actually, while Jesus was still alive, uh, or uh, John was still alive, Jesus' ministry began. And so they thought that Jesus was a reincarnation of John the Baptist. Why? Because John preached the kingdom. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. And Jesus preached the same message. And it was a compliment because John had a huge following. Some said that Jesus was Elijah. Why? Because Elijah did miracles and preached against the false religions of the day. Jesus did the same thing. Uh, Some said Jeremiah the weeping prophet from the 500s, 600, 500 B.C.s. Why Jeremiah? Because Jeremiah preached against the established Jewish leaders. And what was Jesus doing during the day? Preaching against the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders. Uh, All these made sense, and they were huge compliments. But they were dead wrong. So you can be very complimentary of Jesus and still be dead wrong as to who Jesus is. And Jesus says, this is great, thank you, but who do you say I am? 
Who do you think I am? Disciples. And bold, boisterous, leader Peter just blurts out, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Two things in that answer. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the anointed one. Who's the anointed one? The one anointed to do what God promised back in Genesis 3.15, to destroy the devil's work. The anointed one, the only Savior to bridge the gap between humanity and God, to bring peace between God and man. You are the only Savior, the Son of the living God, God himself. You are God, the only Savior. Peter got Jesus right. How do I know? Not because I say so. Not because the church says so. Jesus does. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but, my, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus' identity, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Disciples get Jesus right, and that's your first point today. Disciples get Jesus right. Who is Jesus? What is his identity? He's the Son of the living God, and disciples of Jesus get Jesus' identity right. They're not just complimentary about Jesus. They don't just give him compliments. They get his identity right. He is the Messiah, the only Savior, the Son of the living God, God himself. We are living 2,000 years after this incident, after this conversation, and yet in a lot of ways things haven't changed. We live in a pluralistic society where it doesn't matter who you follow, it doesn't matter what you worship, what God you worship, it doesn't matter. Uh, in fact, we're also living in a society that still holds a high regard for Jesus, that's still very complimentary about Jesus. Uh, even if they don't believe that he's the Son of God, the only Savior, the view of Jesus is, well, he was a good prophet. He, he taught morality. He's a good moral teacher. That's what we hear today about Jesus. He, he was a good prophet, a good moral teacher, and that's it. You can, you can learn good life lessons from Jesus. And yet you can be complimentary of Jesus and still get him dead wrong. Even within the Christian church, we can get Jesus wrong. Across the Christian church, uh, you hear of Jesus being someone who will make you healthy and wealthy. We call that the prosperity gospel. That if you follow Jesus just right, your life is going to be blessed. And blessed meaning healthy and wealthy. The Christian church can be very complimentary of Jesus and use him as kind of a, a, a motivational person, a, a, the, the hype man behind your life, to go out and, and live the best life that you can. Uh, Jesus can turn into someone who's paid for your sins, but you still have work to do to make up for your sins. So he's only covered half of them, or some of them, not all of them. Even within the Christian church, the identity of Jesus can be wrong. Are you getting it right? What do you look to Jesus for? Who is Jesus? 
Is he the, the genie-like God that you call on when you need something in life? When you need a favor, when you need something? Is he kind of in the background uh, until you get in trouble? And then you go to him in prayer and you ask him to bail you out. And he kind of lives in the periphery of your life. Is he the God that just teaches you morality? And that's really all you want. You just want to know what it's like to live a good life and Jesus has the best morals, therefore, that's what I look to Jesus for. Disciples get Jesus' identity right. And what is that identity? The Messiah, the Son of the living God. Where do we see his identity most clearly? It's on the cross with nails through his hands and his feet, with a crown of thorns on his head, pain for the sins of the world, the only Messiah. It's Jesus, the one, God's Son, God himself, who rose from the dead to conquer the grave. This is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and disciples of Jesus get that identity right. And Peter did. Peter did. But why is it important? Why is it so important to get the identity of Jesus right? Well, we've got to look to Jesus' response to Peter. Look at verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Before I answer why, uh, I'm going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I promise you it's important. What is Jesus talking about? You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Uh, it would be easy from, from the English just to say, well, he's Peter, and Jesus is saying that on Peter he's going to build his church. But the Greek doesn't allow that. Uh, the Greek language and, and Spanish language and, and many other languages have uh, words and, and different word forms based on masculine, uh, feminine, and neuter words. And so when Jesus says, you are Peter, he says, you are Petrus. That's the Greek word. You are Petrus. It's a masculine word because he's talking about a man. But then he says, and on this rock, Petra, a feminine word. If Jesus is talking about building his church on Peter, guess what verb, word he would have used? He would have used a masculine form of Petra. He would have used Petro. But he doesn't. He uses the feminine. Why? Because Jesus isn't building his church on Peter. He builds his church on the confession, the rock-solid confession that Peter spoke. And what was it? Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's on that confession that Jesus Christ builds his church. And when you think of church, don't think of the institution of church. Jesus is talking about the Christian church. He's talking about people. So Christians, disciples of Jesus, are built on the rock-solid truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is what Jesus builds his church on. Disciples get Jesus right, and they stand firm on the confession of who Jesus is. 
Why is that important? Look at what he says. I'll build, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Here's why. Your second point today. Disciples that get Jesus right can't be overcome by the gates of Hades. Here's the reality that the Bible talks about, that the devil, Satan himself, is real. And what is he trying to do to each and every one of us? He's trying to overcome us. He's trying to drag us with him into hell. And yet Jesus says those who are standing on the rock-solid truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, no one, nothing, not even hell itself, can overcome us. When is this important? How does the devil try to overcome us? Uh, we might get the picture that he's sending demons and, and the devil's coming and, and terrify us and kill us. No, what, what does the devil do to try to overcome us? He accuses us. He tries to drag us away from, from Jesus uh, through different means. Who needs to hear that when we stand firm on the rock-solid truth of Jesus and who he is, that Satan cannot overcome? It's the person who's feeling shame. The young person who, yes, by their own choices, sent inappropriate pictures. But now those pictures are being scattered all over the place. And they're completely embarrassed and filled with shame. It's the person who's trying to juggle every role that they play in life, and yet every night they go to bed looking and saying, I failed in this area. And the devil is there trying to make you feel like a failure, trying to overcome you with guilt, with shame. It's the person who just got news from the doctor that uh, their health is at risk, and they're scared. It's the person who feels all kinds of, of guilt by letting people down. Satan comes, and he doesn't try to overcome us all at once. It's little by little, he tries to overcome us, accusing us with guilt, making us feel ashamed, making us feel like a failure. It's for those people, like you and me, in those moments, that we need to remember that we are standing on the rock-solid truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and Satan, the gates of hell, cannot overcome us. It's for the person who is fearful of the future. Because this world is scary. I'm a father of two. Uh, and I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And to think of what the world is going to be like in the future for them is scary. I'd love to be there to protect them from everything that they will ever go through. Uh, I'd love to, to be there so that nothing bad ever happens to them. Because who knows what, what could come. And yet, what we need to remember is that no matter what the future holds, when we're standing on the solid rock of Jesus, we have nothing to fear. This is what Peter knew. There's a church historian named Eusebius who, who tells us that 
when Peter died, uh, it was around 60 A.D. in the 60s when uh, he was brought to Rome and he was crucified for preaching Jesus as the Messiah. For preaching this very message, the rock-solid truth that Jesus, that he preached, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he was crucified for. However, before he was crucified, they made him watch his wife get crucified. Imagine being Peter in that moment. Watching as, as your wife gets taken away, and the Roman soldiers didn't treat you well, they're going to crucify you. They're going to put nails through your hands and feet and watch you die, and you have to watch. Do you think he wanted to protect her? Do you think he wanted to save her? And yet he was powerless to do so. And yet Eusebius tells us that as she's getting led away, he called her by name. And Peter said to her, remember the Lord. Because what did he know? That yes, Satan can bring his greatest attack against us, but those who stand firm on Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the gates of Hades cannot overcome us. Yes, she was going to be crucified, but as soon as she closed her eyes in death, she would open them forever with her Savior to live by his side in eternity. That's the comfort of the rock-solid truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is what we stand firm on. Disciples get the identity of Jesus right, and when we get it right, the gates of Hades cannot overcome us. Our guilt is removed. Our shame is removed, covered. Our fears are stilled by the rock-solid truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is what Peter knew. He knew the identity of Jesus, and it completely transformed his life and, and impacted his life as he went forward. Disciples get Jesus right, and when they get him right, not even the hell can overcome us. But so what does this mean? Where do we go from here? I, I want to close up today by not only closing up this message, but the entire series, and Peter is such a good one for that. Because uh, many of you know Peter, you know his story, if you know the, the Gospels at all, you know how Peter failed. Peter didn't always get, get living with Jesus right. In fact, Jesus says this very complimentary thing about uh, Peter, and yet the very ne next instance, what does Peter get wrong? Jesus' purpose. <laughs> Jesus starts talking about his death, his upcoming death, and Peter says, stop talking about this. You're not going to die. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. He's the only disciple to get to walk on water, and he's the only disciple who got called Satan. Uh, not exactly a great compliment there. Peter had the worst week of his life uh, during Holy Week. He not only denied knowing Jesus three times, he cut off somebody's ear. Uh, Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Pray for me. And Peter fell asleep instead of praying for him. Peter got it wrong. Even after Jesus rose and ascended into heaven, uh, we hear in, in the epistles that Paul had to confront Peter because he was 
staying away from non-Jewish people. And so he confronted him, saying, you're not living out God's love. Peter got it wrong so often. And yet, what did he know? That when I stand on the rock-solid truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, there's forgiveness and mercy in my Savior. There's forgiveness and mercy and grace in the Messiah that is Christ. And that's true for you and me. And so the best way to close up this series uh, on disciples is as we leave here, as we go on, what do we want to do? Exactly what Peter tells us to do in 2 Peter chapter 3. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, now and forever. We want to grow in the grace that is found in Jesus the Messiah. We want to grow in the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness as we walk with Jesus for our entire life. We walk with Him and know that when we fail, there is grace. When we fail, there is more grace and that grace transforms us because we know Jesus. We know who He is. We know He's the Messiah, the Son of the living God and when we stand firm on Him, nothing can overcome us. So let's grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Savior, uh, you came into this world to overcome Satan, to overcome sin, to overcome death, and that's exactly what you did. Uh, when you died on the cross, it was probably a moment of joy for Satan. Uh, he, he probably thought he won. Uh, and yet, in that moment when you died, you forgave us all of our sins. In that moment when you died, uh, you brought peace with God for all people. Uh, for those who stand firm in you, uh, we have peace with God now and forever. And then you rose from the dead, so that not even death itself uh, is a fearful thing. Because we know that when we die, we will open our eyes in heaven with you forever. Uh, fear of death can no longer control us. Satan cannot overcome us with guilt with shame, with failure, with fear. Uh, nothing can keep us from you because you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Help us to grow in your grace. Help us to grow in who you are, in your identity, uh, because it's when we get you right that uh, nothing can move us because we know there's grace. We know there's mercy. We know there's compassion more and more. Help us to grow in this as we uh, live our life with you, as we follow you the rest of our days. Let us grow in this grace and knowledge of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message today. It's my prayer that uh, it has changed your heart as you grew in the message of your Savior, Jesus. Again, if you wouldn't mind liking and subscribing, we'd be grateful for that. God bless your day.